G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, don't forget, everyone, we're still fundraising until the end of December. You can donate via cfrc.ca. Just go to the GoFundMe campaign. All donations would be greatly appreciated. Now, today is going to be a little bit different because we're going to be speaking to Abby Lee Hallett, who is doing a Master of Arts Leadership, which is one of our newer programs. And the reason it's a little bit different because it isn't a research-based program. It's a course-based program with a practicum. So welcome to Grad Chat, Abby Lee. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. So being in arts leadership, there's lots of things to that. Oh, so many things. (laughs) More than I ever expected, for sure. And it's only a three-term program for starters. That's correct. So we have our summer term, which is a a six-week intensive from about May to June, followed by about a month of coursework and assignments in July. You get a break in August, so you get to breathe and you get to relax. You get to see a bunch of performances. And then in September, you're back at it again. But it's um, the nice thing about it is that it's fairly flexible. So if you're not fresh out of undergrad, maybe you already have a job, you can still make it work with this program because right. you can do this semester in September. as a tongue twister. <laughs> you can do that entirely online if you wish. And then, um, of course, in the summer, there's only the six weeks of coursework where you have to actually be present in Kingston and then after that it's the practicum so if you already have a full-time job you're all set you're all set (laughs) yep (laughs) okay so it's interesting because when we say arts management or arts leadership it's hard to know well some people might just think it's performing arts but it's more than just performing arts it's the visual arts as well oh it's everything so uh, I've I've had a lot of questions about that it's a very valid inquiry because like I'm an arts management people like Oh, well, theater, because I was in, um, I was a drama minor at Queen's, so people understandably assume that I'm doing solely theater, but it can actually be anything. So essentially anything arts or cultural based, this could be, um, you know, Fort Henry down the road, Um, an arts management degree could help you if you were working there in more of an administrative or a management position. It could be... Would that be like on programming and things like that? Yeah. So in the program... We don't touch a ton on programming. Like we do cover cultural policy issues of the day and kind of like strategic planning, more so on a management side though. So we do a lot of marketing, we do development or fundraising as it's called. And then we did a finance course. That was that was a time because a lot of us come from a sole background (laughs) of kind of plainly artistic. So you throw a bunch of arts kids into finance. Yeah, we all make money, but unfortunately (laughs) it tells us what we can and can't do a lot of times. Exactly. So I suppose it can be applicable not only to any artistic or cultural institution, but also there are some transferable skills if you're interested in the nonprofit sector at large, which I am. So I'm mainly interested in like social services, theater, and then cultural institutions as well. So I'm in museums, things like that, as I 
work as a tour guide right now. I used to work at Fort Henry, so I do have some experience in those areas. So I'm like, if I ended up there, that would also be great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So why is it important that we have an arts leadership program? From what I've heard, my professors and those who created the program, it's been quite nice because it came out of a lack or a need in Canada. Um, In some, what was happening was that a lot of the arts managers in Canada that were governing these important institutions were not being hired nationally. People were having to go to the United States and bring people from America into Canada because there weren't enough programs in Canada that could teach you how to be an effective arts leader, not just for, you know, one year, not just an interim leader, but to kind of develop the skills that will allow you to create a sustainable organization. Right. Which is Hopefully important. for a long time. Yep, yeah, exactly. So this is only the third year of the program, if I'm correct in saying yes. Yes. It is the third year of the program. So it's it's still on its feet, but it was really nice to kind of hear that Again, this program came out of something that wasn't previously in existence in order to fill a gap in the real world. So to me, when I was looking into this program, it seemed like there was this nice bridge from, you know, the university world into the working world. Right. Which was something that as as a psychology major and a theater minor who wasn't really sure what I wanted to do afterwards, that was very appealing to me. (laughs) And I think another reason why it's so important to have these arts leaders is that arts and culture are a massive, massive contributor, not only to the social lives of people in Canada, also to our communities, and to the economy as well. In Ontario, I think there's over... 200,000 jobs that are related to arts and culture. Quebec is just following that and then followed by British Columbia. So there are so many opportunities. And that was such a relief because when you tell your family, like, I want to work in the arts, they're like, are you sure about that? (laughs) Don't you want to do something a little more stable? And I'm like, no, I love the arts. And so then hearing that there are all of these opportunities out there Mm -hmm. is so reassuring and it's wonderful and like I mean obviously I'm biased because I love I love the arts I think they're so important but like I there was this one survey that was done in Toronto we were learning about and I I, the actual figures I'm not 100% sure of but the gist of it was that the vast majority of people felt that the arts were important to their communities and to their lives and the other really interesting thing is that people who are able to partake in the arts are generally more pro-social and they are more involved in their community than those who are not which is really Mm -hmm. interesting again coming from a psychology background I'm like definitely a correlation not causation (laughs) that would be great if that was true (laughs) but that's like the the figures are there and the people are saying that they really value the arts in their community so I think I think what's nice about mm -hmm. the arts whether it's performing or visual is that any age group can get involved and cross generations can do things together yeah that's such a good point I think that's another big thing that the arts are trying to tackle I think always is trying to make it more accessible especially when you you hear stories all the time of arts programs and schools being cut when Mm -hmm. all of 
these surveys and this research is telling us how important the arts are for so many factors in our lives. Fortunately, there are still many wonderful artistic opportunities out there. And if you get, you know, youth or, you know, kids involved at a very young age with the arts, the Mm -hmm. chances that they will continue being very interested in the arts and really valuing valuing uh, artistic endeavors when they grow up is much greater. Right. So I think you know one of the greatest things that you can do for kids is to try to really get them involved. Obviously, if they're interested, if they say, like, I would much rather play soccer, I'd be like, no, you must be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope that it gets to the point where, like, especially in smaller areas or like more rural areas that the arts are accessible because that's still that's still a thing that's being tackled is the majority of artistic practices centered more towards urban areas as you would expect well I I think it's interesting particularly here in Kingston we're very fortunate you know we have the Isabel Bader Center for for the Performing Arts we have the Agnes Etherington Arts Mm -hmm. Center there's a lot of programming that goes on just from what Queen's does for for children and adults Mm -hmm. I think we're very, very lucky that we all have all of that. I think so, too. And especially having worked in the tourism sector in Kingston for, oh, my goodness, this is going on four years now. It shows how long I've been here. Um, <laughs> Not all just She was undergrad first. <laughs> I was, yes. I promise you will get through this program in a year. Don't worry. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I was, I've been working at Haunted Walk for about three years, and I worked at Fort right, Henry before right. that. And just interacting with people, so many people it's clear that people see Kingston as this really exciting area for tourism they have lots here yeah there's a a lot lot here and it's so interesting as well I'm going to kind of again go on my rant about why the arts are so important (laughs) and exciting Um, this is your opportunity yes this is is the time (laughs) well I I came from a small town and in kind of the town's around me they're a little bit smaller as well for me it seems so obvious at the difference that arts and culture can bring to us you know any sort of community Mm -hmm. even if they're very similar so a lot of the towns that I grew up in and around again smaller towns had artistic kind of opportunities that you could get into but they were kind of they're all siloed so if you could like I did dance when I was younger, but that was kind of like its own bubble. And there were all these like very small sort of like bubbles of artistic practice um, in the community. To compare the place, kind of the place around where I grew up to Stratford, which I went to very recently. Oh, okay. It seems like such a big difference. People who are from Stratford. So for those who don't know about Stratford, the the Shakespeare stuff yeah, every year. Exactly. The Stratford Festival mm-hmm. is there. It's been for quite some time. It's a huge festival that actually has plays and forums and workshops and all of these really exciting opportunities going on almost near or near year round. Right. It's massive. And the town of Stratford, I think, is only around 30,000 people, which is very similar to my town. Right. And there is so much pride and community bonding in Stratford, even in the very short time that I was there, that I never saw in the communities where I grew up, which is kind of a shame because I don't want to kind of debase my hometown by any means because there are some really wonderful people there and there are some excellent initiatives, but just I 
see that there could be so much more potential for collaborations. And yeah, and involvement and just getting to come together as a community and experience something really exciting and, and get to have so many opportunities for learning. I mean, I was doing some research on the Stratford Festival and it almost <laughs> failed in its very first year. The first year is escaping me because I've looked at so many dates and <laughs> different things with this program, but um, I want to say 1960s in that range, so sorry Stratford if I'm wrong about that, <laughs> um, but it very nearly didn't even go up because I think there was a funding shortage and they Gosh. were trying to really pull this whole thing together because I saw that a Shakespeare festival could be a real boon to the economy, mm -hmm. and then at the last minute they got some donations from I think some community foundations and then they were able to go up and now look at it like that's such an improbable story it should not have even happened for one year let alone right. the many years that but followed well I think it helps with the you know that connection between Shakespeare and Stratford mm -hmm. uh, that's, so, also, so, so that's what a good link right yeah. <laughs> all new programming the first year is always a bit iffy but if mm -hmm. you can if you've got enough funds to keep it going over at least two or three years then it starts getting ingrained in people's minds going isn't that festival coming up people mm -hmm. start looking for it rather than you trying to push it out people are actually saying well when's it on next Exactly. And the audience in Stratford is also really unlikely because I I was talking with uh, a few folks who worked there and they said that a quarter of their audience comes from the United States to right. this small town in Canada awesome. to come see Shakespeare. Like, how brilliant. cool is that? That's very cool. <laughs> you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about what the, what's entailed in the program and we actually called this program, this arts leadership program, is called a laddered program, whereby the first term you complete five courses to attain the graduate diploma in arts management. Now, people can just do that and stop there if they want to. But as you're doing, you're actually then continuing on for two more terms. So some more courses in the in the second term. And then you have a the practicum placement. Two things there. What made you want to do your master's itself in arts leadership? And then secondly, do you know yet where you're going to get placed for your practicum? Yeah, so my path to this program was... Apart from your passion for the arts. For sure. <laughs> so it was a bit roundabout, actually. The first year of the program was uh, coming out right after I finished my third year. So because right. I was a drama minor... I'd get emails from the right. drama school. So I got an email about this program and I looked at it and I thought, eh, I don't know. And I ended up deleting the email initially. <laughs> and, then, <That> happens. <laughs> and then a couple of months later, I thought, hmm, you know, that, that email actually seemed really interesting. I should probably have read it more thoroughly. So I went <laughs> I went back into my, my trash and my email. <laughs> I found it again. I was like, oh, this actually does look really intriguing. Um, I again, was a drama minor, and I always really loved performance, but I don't think that I could do that as a career, even though right. I really, really love it. And one thing that I also really loved and that I could see myself doing was just trying to get the word out about all of these really exciting artistic opportunities, right. trying to get people involved and trying to really kind of grow organizations that I was working in to hopefully like reach you, more community members and yeah and like you so. said you want them to be sustainable exactly and that that is the hard thing especially with nonprofit yes, exactly. <laughs> organizations so I thought you know that would be really fantastic to learn and 
I I was always intrigued by business, but I could never see myself being like a business shark, as the term goes. Yes. <laughs> like I can see the nonprofit working a little bit better for me. However, I actually didn't end up going into the program initially. I applied to a couple of different programs, one of which was actually in California. Oh. And I thought, oh, you know, I'd like to kind of get out of my comfort zone a little bit. And it right. seemed really yeah. interesting in California. But then what I found when I got there was that the practical elements that I had been really excited about with this program were missing from the one that I was taking right. in the States. Right. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, the program is always in the back of my head. And I thought, have I made a mistake? Should I have gone to the other program? And so I ended up coming back after one semester from the States. I reapplied to the arts management program. They took me. I was so happy. <laughs> and then I just kind of started right into it in that same year. And um, the rest, well, I think the rest is history. <laughs> that's great because you've clearly got a passion for it. And that was the thing with this program was that I thought that I had kind of like the base level of the passion and the kind of like the things that you can't teach in a classroom, but mm. I didn't have any of the skill sets that I needed, I thought, anyway, to right. go into it. And so this program, I thought, gave me a really good toolbox so right. that oh, this is definitely not the end. Like I am still learning so much even at the very end of this semester. Right. But it gives you some things that you can use to then kind of build on bridge off into mm -hmm. your future arts career, which is exciting. So so what are you doing in your practicum? So this is actually very good timing. I found out <laughs> that I am going to be working as a marketing intern for the Stratford Festival, which is why I was talking ah, about Stratford so much. so much. Okay, yes. so that was a little good segue into that, wasn't it? Yes, uh, so that was awesome. hugely exciting. I I went to Stratford to be an audience member about four or five years ago. Right. And it was just such a magical place for me. I got to do the whole tour behind the scenes, and Brilliant. I just thought, I'm like, oh, I hope this isn't the last time I get to be here. And walking into the festival theater to do an interview, it's like, okay, Abby, like, keep it together. <laughs> you just have to keep it together for 60 so minutes. You had to, so you had to interview for it. I did, yes. Wow. Um, the organizations are a little different. So if any, anyone who's listening is curious about how the process works, we have this wonderful human being named Rosalind, and she interviews everybody in a very very casual manner right. um, no need to panic <laughs> and during the summer just to see where everyone's experience is where their interests are and then she kind of bridges the gap between us and the people who are hiring at these organizations right. so people have had placements at uh, the Shaw Festival and my friends is going to be at the National Ballet um, one of my other friends at the Arts Club in Vancouver this coming year so Rosalind is the one who kind of makes us known to these folks who are hiring. Right, right. And then after that, it kind of goes from there. So it very much depends on the organization. One of my friends said that he went in and they basically asked him two questions, showed him around the facility, and that was that. <laughs> but you can't expect that because when I went in, I had a full 60-minute interview. They right, called my references and right. everything. So you have to kind of, you know, hope for the best, but expect the most complicated interview. Which is, all, which is all a good learning experience, too. It is. And you also don't have to be perfect, as I learned, because for some reason, I guess the air was really dry in the building, but about halfway through the interview, 
I kind of like lost my voice. I felt like I just eaten a spoonful of cinnamon. I'm like, oh my goodness, of all times. But they were so I love it. accommodating, and they got me hot water. They got me cold water. They were so they're so probably, nice. They're probably used to all the the actors and, and actresses. Maybe need, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm we have it all on hand. Yes. We can help you. So that was that was really really nice, and it it just seemed like a good fit. So I'm I'm very excited. Well, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a little bit of a sideway thing now because I want to f- get your opinion on a couple of topics mm-hmm. if, if you don't mind for sure how can we create artistic programming that is not merely inclusive to one marginalized demographic but to all Canadians how can we do that this is honestly the million dollar question and I will I will try to give some insights here definitely this is coming from one person who has just been in the program for a few months so I'm I'd be very interested in learning more in this area. This sort of question has come about several times, and the time that it came about most prominently was during my cultural policy class. We had to write kind of like a mock grant, okay. as if we were mm-hmm. applying to the Canada Council for the Arts right. to get a program funded. And one of the questions was, um, how can you make sure that your program is accessible to people uh, like deaf and disability, indigenous communities, and then official language minority communities. So, for right. example, if you are a French-speaking person living in Ontario, or and if you're in Quebec, if you're an English-speaking person living in Quebec, that right. sort of thing. And I was kind of bamboozled by this because, I, again, coming from psychology, I have always been very geared towards making things inclusive for those who have different experiences, more so in kind of the mental health side. So I had been crafting this program meticulously, and I was like, yes, this is going to be so good for this one group. But then I come across this question, I thought, oh, dear. So (laughs) I think there's a couple of things off of, like, from what I've learned and also that I can speak to this. One of them being just trying to get to know the communities in which you live and operate as best you can. Right. It's very easy, especially nowadays when things are so technological, to get stuck behind your desk working by yourself mm-hmm. or working just inside. But one of the most important things is just getting out into your community and talking with people because ultimately you know, the arts, especially nonprofit arts, are there. Not to make money because yeah, there's not that, a lot of money all the time. You need their support, don't you? Yes, exactly. We're here to bring a service into the community. And so we don't want to say, oh, we've crafted this great thing. This is what you need. Here you go. And right. people, they, they don't identify with it. Right. You know, we need to try and craft things. But that, with, all, that all comes down to knowing your market. And your market is two things. Those that actually come to the performance or whatever, the, the exhibit, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the market of where you're actually housing at yes will that community take it on board like exactly like Stratford did exactly they, as a community they took it on board and it can be very hard that's a fine line because some people don't care and they never will care ever that was the first thing our marketing prof told us she's like all right get that naivete out of your head some people just don't care about your stuff and we're like right. oh man <laughs> but but then of course we have the other side people who haven't been able to go to an artistic experience due to right. barriers Correct. so you need to make sure that if people aren't coming it's not because <laughs> there's a barrier it's because they are just you know not fe- not feeling like it right. at least that's that's what i believe so just again so trying to really understand your community and what they need mm-hmm. and then crafting your art so that it 
benefits as many people involved as you can through those consultations. And then also what I found is just there's always a way, especially in the arts, to have several things available to people. So several iterations of one type of things. For example, I was trying to come up with different workshops for this program I was designing. It's like, like, what about, you know, we did like a soundscape. It's like, but of course, if someone comes in and they're hard of hearing or they can't hear at all, I don't want to then say, oh, you have to go home now. You can't do this because you, this is something, you know, you can't hear. That's not something anybody can control. Of course, we want people to be able to participate. So even just having multiple types of media available so that if somebody can't partake in a soundscape there are something paints. else they can do yes or something like that and e- you know what though people but even with the sound i'm going to butt in there oh, for even sure. with the sound, sometimes people have hard of hearing or are deaf they can hear sound mm-hmm. hearing quotes in a different way through vibrations and things that's also true and that goes back to so, just talking to people and say what makes you feel more yeah. comfortable like would you rather do this and how can I help you get the best experience or would you like to paint I mean I was watching this one video about this gentleman who lost his eyesight kind of gradually as he was going into adulthood and he paints the most beautiful paintings you've ever seen he's able to feel the paint and he can see exactly where he is with the paint just through his fingers and kind of like through the visual in his mind Hmm. But of course, if I was going in never having known this, I would think like, oh, well, if you're, you can't do it. But that's, again, just talking to people, but also making sure that there's multiple things available so that if somebody can't see, but also doesn't feel like they can paint, that they can do something else. They can do something else. Yeah. That's good. Good answer. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So municipal art in Canada. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone, you know, as soon as there's funding and things like Mm -hmm. that, everyone says, are we spending our tax dollars properly? So how do we ensure that tax dollars spent towards municipal public art are spent in ways that actually benefit the citizens? So I did a project on this in my this last This is very class. fortuitous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I'm there's probably so many other things that are involved in this, but the biggest thing that my group and I came up with is a bit of a repetition from the previous answer. But if you try to create some sort of art that is tied in with your community and you you know you make sure that in choosing the piece of art that ultimately gets put you know on the corner of the street or on campus if you make sure that the community is involved with it, it makes such a big difference so we did uh, a comparison between some different pieces of art. There was one that I was researching where the piece of art was purchased through a fund and a few people kind of gathered together and they said, okay, where's the best place that we can put this piece of art? Okay, we're going to put it right here. This is perfect. And then nobody knew what this was. Right. People thought, oh my goodness, is this piece of art just left over from an old building? I don't know what this is. And so that didn't really work out because people then couldn't really enjoy this right. this piece of art because they didn't really know that it was art in the first place. I was looking into another scenario in which there was a piece of art that was not so much one piece of art. There was kind of a call for submissions to artists where they could all design pieces of art. And then while the final piece was selected by a group of community members, artists, and I think 
arts agencies, the consultation process was done through the community. So they yeah. held kind of open areas where community members could come and they could look at all of the submissions and say, I really like that one because of this reason, or I like this other one. And so... So there was more involvement by the community from the get-go as opposed to just sticking it up and hoping people get what it is. And we, yeah, we often feel like we have to guess in order to be good at what we do. Like, we should just know intuitively what people want without even asking them because if, if we don't just intuitively know, then we're not innately good at what we do but I think the opposite is true that taking the guesswork out of it makes it so much better for everybody because then you're not saying oh I think you need this thing you'll you're gonna really relate to this sort of nondescript piece of art (laughs) yeah you're telling them what they should be liking as opposed Mm -hmm. to asking them and a huge issue is that folks say that the art is elitist and that it's inaccessible and we don't want to kind of keep perpetuating that so Mm -hmm. if we take something we say ah this is this is good art you should all know what this is otherwise you're not a true appreciator of good art and just put it on in a park somewhere and people don't know well then of course they're not going to feel inclined to get involved in the arts they'll just feel like i can never understand this but if you make or rather not force people into but if you invite people to become involved then it's a lot more engaging for people they feel like they have a stake in it and then you see something that you voted for and that you spoke up about in your community, I would think that's a really exciting thing yeah, because you thought, oh, they really listen to me. I really have a voice in this community and it's reflected through this piece of art. Perfect. So then how can we ensure that we are actually fostering our relationships with the younger arts audiences while also continuing to include our current audiences? Because we all want to get new people involved in the arts or excited about the arts, whichever form it is, but we don't want to lose those that are already there. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very, that's well, again, I, a fine line to trod. Well, it is, because a classic example, for instance, with opera. Yes. There's traditional opera, and then there's the modern versions of opera. Mm-hmm. And traditional has said, oh, you should never do the modern. But the modern one actually can get a new group, a new audience into loving opera. Mm-hmm. And there's a few different examples that I can think of where some organizations have done this really well. But yes, like you speak to with opera it's a it's a big thing again if we go back to the sustainability of your organization if you have these you know wonderful patrons who've been with you for decades but mm. they get to a point where they can't go out to see the opera for various health reasons right. or they don't feel like you know they can maybe give the time or sometimes the donations because ultimately a lot of the revenue from the arts does come from donations right if that starts to dwindle you need something else so right. uh, from what i've seen there are a few different organizations that are really doing their best to try to welcome in young people and a lot of these it can be as easy as trying to get kind of student discounts or student subscription rates so one of my friends was telling me that he recently got oh I, and I've forgotten which specific opera this was but there's an opera company in Toronto that reduced their subscription significantly so that I think to see several different shows the sus- subscription was right. around like 150 160 dollars which seems like a lot but if you're going to see like five to ten that, operas that's, that's really good such a good saving mm-hmm. so 
you know, making sure to get the word out about deals like that, that can be huge because, you know, then people don't feel like I have to spend $200 to go sit in the nosebleeds and squint to see the opera. (laughs) They feel like, okay, I can spend, I, I do have to put an investment into it, but ultimately I will get to see multiple different kinds of shows and that's exciting. I think that's what's good here about with the Isabel because mm-hmm. the Isabel gives discounted tickets to all our students so it gives yes. you the opportunity to see different performances. Likewise at the Agnes mm-hmm. there's opportunities to go and see the exhibitions and everything for free and have people actually talking about what the exhibition is so you're not just looking for it for yourself someone's explaining the background to how that exhibition got put in place in the first place. So I think they're all really good ways of trying to bring in new a new audience that's terrific i actually i learned something new i didn't know that the agnes did that that's fantastic and a lot of the times some of the exhibitions just for those people who don't know sometimes they'll have the grad students who are in art history and things they will actually talk about a particular exhibition or how these uh, etchings and things are being done what's the process behind them and things so oh that's wonderful i i love that and really it's I think it's all about seeing, like, bringing in younger audiences as more of an opportunity as opposed to something that, oh, I need to do this, okay, mm-hmm. I guess I have to go through this process and try to find new people, but it's such a good opportunity, like, you know, you're having a night where your seats aren't selling well, okay, then cater towards students or cater towards, That's you know, right. a demographic that maybe doesn't get to go to the shows often, like, have, like... Nights for education, teachers, students, all of that. Yeah. Say, hey, we would like you to come to see this performance and you can be our guests for the evening. This is going to be a night of education right. at theater. And then, people, wow, like people are coming up, or rather the art organization is coming to me specifically and they want me to get involved. Like, that's a really nice feeling. It is. I was reading about at Stratford, they do something. I'm not sure if it's going on this year, but I hope it is because I thought it was such a smart idea. They have a lot of different educational initiatives. So every year for definitely all of the Shakespeare shows, but I think as well for the other shows that they do, they put together educational packets so that teachers can access these packets and do the full lesson on Hamlet or Othello or whatnot because Stratford has provided them with all of the tools that they need to go through and ask the right questions and kind of give these certain assignments. So one of the things that they did last year was they had a night where they invited all post-secondary students in concurrent education within the area to come and kind of talk about ways that they can get involved in education through Stratford. And then they all got to see Othello for free, I believe. And I thought, what a great idea because you're, you know, you're saying, oh, you're going into education. Let's, let's talk about drama and theater and performance really early on so that you can come back to us. And people think, you know, if you have a really good first impression of an organization, you're not going to forget that, right? No, you're not. So, uh... And, of course, not only does that involve young teachers, but then if teachers bring their students, that involves even more young people. So, um, yeah, but I think that's probably just scratching the surface, to be honest. There's so many things you can do. There's lots of opportunities. (laughs) We just have to be creative, don't we? For sure. That's that's why you guys are in this program. Um, Before we finish, I want to do one last thing. I I know you do a lot of extracurriculars. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Hard and to I, say no to everything at Queen's, honestly. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm, that's why I'm waiting to retire so that I can actually do some more of these things. But I noticed you're the director of sponsorship with Queen's WE. Now, what does yes. WE stand for? So, what does that do? Okay, so the WE charity, we're a chapter uh, of the larger um, WE.org charity, which is created by Craig Kielberger. And it's essentially... There's, again, they do so many things, but here at Queen's, we try and enhance social justice leadership in young people, right. um, teach about sustainability, and then we ultimately try and reduce global poverty, child exploitation, and kind of enhance communities that kind of maybe don't have as much as we do. So last year, they raised about $20,000 for different communities. I think pretty much as much as possible that they can donate goes to a, a village in Kenya in order to kind of help with... This is, this is a bit hard because I'm not... I, unfortunately, I don't get to go on these trips and kind of see what goes mm-hmm. on there. But the really good thing about the WE charity is that they will only go into communities that kind of want them in there and they don't go and say like kind of like we were talking about earlier like oh you need this we're going to come in and save your community like it's done through a lot of consultation like okay what can we bring you the money that goes towards these communities is going towards something that they actually need and that can benefit them and that can also bring opportunities for them that are sustainable so for instance they would go in and teach people like a valuable skill that once people from the We Charity depart, these people can then use the skill that they were taught in order to create more income for them right. in the long term. So I that's why I kind of got a bit stuck trying to describe the donation process <laughs> because sometimes you'll think, you know, like, okay, you're just going to go in and maybe build something in this developing country that could have been done by the people and that they don't actually need but what's really fantastic about the we charity is that they like make sure that what they're doing is necessary and that it is helpful for the people not just for the time that they're there but also hopefully for many years after they leave so it's a really fantastic charity and there's some wonderful people involved they're having a dodgeball tournament next year and there's this big conference going on on february 8th focusing on sustainability so everyone should come out to that sadly i can't because i won't be here because i'll be in stratford (laughs) but i wish i could but she put put a plug in yeah okay abby lee we're gonna have to call it quits okay yes because we've certainly run out of time oh yes oh my goodness that's okay so abby lee great chatting with you thanks for coming on to the show and good luck with the rest of your program thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it that's good so i mean that just goes to show what an awesome program it is because clearly Abby Lee is not short on, on saying a few words. So that, that's really good. <laughs> Never am. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. 